Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Okay, there's like only half of you? The rest of you is your summer church? Or your barbecue day? Like, which is it? I, I, uh, you know, I, I kind of laugh because, you know, Pastor Tim said, he said, you know, this is our preacher man, but actually I usually get called letter man. Okay, some of you are old enough to know what that means. I was, in a, I was going in a new gym the other day, and uh, as I walked in, there was this 20-something-year-old running the counter, and she said to me, she looked at me, and then when I checked in, she looked at me and she went, do you know you look just like a guy on Netflix? <laughs> I went, yeah, I'm old. I'm so old. Hey, it's so really good to be here. We just, uh, this is the first time I'm actually here on a Sunday. I've been in this auditorium many, many times for conferences, and uh, Pastor Lauren, Pastor Kelly are just, uh, you know, just great. Our overseers, my wife and I, are just privileged to be able to serve under them in this great nation of Canada, and we're just thrilled to be able to be here on their behalf at their invitation today. Uh, Kim and I are in, uh, we mostly live in Kelowna, although we have a, a, a location in Vernon and a location in Revelstoke as well. So right now, we are, our church is meeting in uh, three services, plus our online, incidentally, welcome online. And uh, we are meeting in, uh, in three places this morning, and I kind of miss being there, but I'm loving being here today. My wife and I have four kids. And usually when we were, you know, when our kids were little and you go to a grocery store and they look at you and you go like, uh, did you not take that class in school? Like, uh, you know, uh, you know what causes it and you, you didn't have to have four kids. <clears throat> and now we have 12 grandkids and uh, everybody says, wow, how did you ever get 12 grandkids? Remember those four kids that you thought we were stupid to have? Uh, we now have 12 grandkids. So it's great being a grandfather and a dad and uh, all of those kinds of things. But more importantly, it's great being here in this house with you today. Because here's where we get to celebrate what Jesus wants to do in our life. And we get to celebrate what God does in your world and what God does in my world and across, really across Canada. We're excited about what God wants to do across Canada. I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to be here today because of the barbecue. Because my wife didn't feed me this morning. So uh, just, you know, I'm not, I'm not hangry. Just excited about the barbecue. Hey, there's a, we, uh, my son owns a condo downtown here in Calgary, and so last night we stayed downtown. One thing I noticed as we were driving in this morning is the degree of homelessness in the downtown area. He's right down on uh, his, his place, is on, right across from Stampede Grounds, right on 1st and 14th. And uh, as we came out this morning, in fact, as we pulled last night into the parkade, we, we hit the sign that said, hey, stop and wait until the door closes behind you, because if you let anybody in, you're going to get fined. And I thought, I don't normally have that happen where I live. And as we were driving around this morning, just getting ready to come, we thought, there's so much homelessness and so much displaced, so many people in our world that just, uh, you know, we're looking to realize that there's, there's this great need. We live and we see a broken humanity around us. There's a story that I've been kind of mulling over a lot the last few months. It's a a man who was born into a, well, he was born into a, a refugee family. His, um, 
parents were victims of modern-day slavery, and as a result of that, him and his two older siblings were really disadvantaged in so many ways. In fact, by the time he came along, his parents were so desperate, they didn't know how they were going to be able to take care of him, and they were concerned that they just didn't have the necessities for him to live. And at three months of age, they finally made a very heartbreaking decision that they were going to give him up. Not a lot of adoption agencies in that part of the world, not a lot of hope. And so they went down the road to where people would regularly walk through and they knew there was a regular crowd of people coming down here and they, they made a little container and, and they put them by the side so that people would notice them. His older sister, a few years older than him, watching to see what would happen. His, within a few hours, a group of young adult women came walking down the road Obviously, one was the center of attention. She was the daughter of a well-known political figure of the day. And as they came past, they saw the box, and she said, go see what's in that box. Walked over to the box, and as they opened the lid, a little baby inside, three months old, started to cry. This young woman who had no intention of ever having kids of her own just felt, you know that moment when you hear a baby cry, I love kids. And that moment when that baby cries, you just feel absolutely helpless. You don't know what to do. Every mom in the room is just going, yeah. Remember my kids were little and, you know, they'd get a cold or they'd get sick. I'd just be helpless. That young woman heard that cry. She just, oh, I've got to do something. And even though she wasn't prepared for it, she didn't want to. She wasn't looking to have kids in her life. She, she said, bring them over here and, she looked at him, and she couldn't let him go. It's like the mother giving up her child for adoption until the moment she holds him. She picked him up. And right then, the sister rushes over. His older sister rushes over, and she says, do you need some help? I, I know somebody who could nanny. I know somebody who could look after him for you. And she said, oh, yeah, please. So ironically... He was raised for the first few months by his own mother, who was paid to do that. Sounds like Canadian socialism. I can only say that in Alberta and BC, we just assume it's normal. And, and of course, as he then went, after three months, he, he went back to his now adopted mother and grew up in, in a place of affluence, political home, lots of money, had everything he ever needed, best schools, private schools, all the things he needed and grew up. But somewhere in his heart, he knew there was something different about him. See, he'd been rescued, and somehow he intuitively knew that he was a rescuer. After years of growing up as a school, and he became into young adulthood, he went back to the family, the rest of the refugees that he knew he was part of, and he saw one of them being abused, and he took the matter into his own hands, and he said, I'm going to solve this. Of course, by now you realize, if you've been in church a little while, I'm talking about Moses. How many of you got that? 
There'll be a quiz later. <laughs> Moses, in his early years, as, as he was born and grew up, he, he was in an environment where he was rescued and he intuitively knew that he would be a rescuer. It's interesting to me how many times that we have an experience in our life early on or where early on in our life we know intuitively what we're really good at. Or we know intuitively what will fulfill us. We know intuitively what our passion will be. We know intuitively what our purpose in life is. Pastor Chris Hodges says the two most important days in your life are one, the day you're born, and two, the day you know why. Intuitively, we know that we're supposed to do this. So Moses, he grew up through his life intuitively knowing that he was a rescuer. You see that theme through his life. In fact, I'd like to take you to the story. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 2 just for a moment. Well, we're actually going to stay in Exodus for a while, but in Exodus chapter 2, this passage, first 10 verses. I don't know if it's going to come up there or not, but I'll read it anyway. Exodus chapter 2, 1 to 10 says, About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds. I don't even know how to say that word. Papyrus, is that right? I keep wanting to say papaya. Papaya reeds. Papyrus reeds. And waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put this baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying. She felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do. The princess replied, so the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for they explained, I lifted him out of the water. So Moses, intuitively, from very early childhood, knew that he was called, he was, his dream was to rescue his people. His dream was to see people around him be free from slavery. I don't know about you, but do you have a dream? I feel like Martin Luther King when I say that. Do you have a dream? Do you have something that, you know, all your life you felt like, you know, this, this is this thing that I would be really good at. I, I, I'd be great at this kind of thing. Maybe you're like Moses, and maybe somewhere along the line you went, you know, I'm going to try to do this thing. See, when Moses got to be in, well, actually, he was getting close to his late 30s by the time he kind of got his act in gear. That's what happens when you grow up in luxury. But anyway, he uh, kind of he, he went down to the Egyptian, saw the Hebrews and uh, his people, and they were being abused. And so he got really angry at the slave driver, and he killed them. He was being a rescuer. You know, we say, well, he's kind of being a murderer, too. You, yeah, you know. Potato, potato. You know, I mean, it's, you know, yeah, sure, he was, he, was, he was certainly, he was trying to rescue his people. He was trying to fulfill his calling. He was trying to fulfill the thing that God had put on his life. And so he did that. And then the next day he comes back thinking they're going to go, hey, here's the guy who rescues us. Have you ever done something really good and you expect somebody to notice and they don't? It's only two laughs. Like, are you guys here? Like, are you human? <laughs> Like, I'm just checking. Is Calgary a different kind of human than it is in BC? I don't know. No, I'm kidding. And, but so he, you know, he came back expecting that they go, hey, here's Moses. Here's the guy that's going to rescue us. 
And instead, the response, when he sees two of the Hebrew slaves fighting, he says, don't fight, don't fight. He says, who made you our boss? I got a little grandson. He's, uh, he's four. He's four. The other day, we were, he was eating in our house, and, uh, you know, he, he didn't want to eat everything on his plate, right? He's four. You know, I mean, our house has got really good food, and not like his mom, but, you know, it's this... Well, we're not as health conscious as his mom, right? So he gets, you know, he comes over to our place. The first thing he says, can I have breakfast? Have you eaten breakfast? No, I haven't had breakfast. What do you want? Cereal. Because uh, he knows it's Captain Crunch and it's, you know, something else, but not granola. And uh, he knows all that. But, you know, he's sitting at the table and he's eating his food. And I said, you know, you need to finish eating your food. And he looks at me and he says, you're not the boss of me. Restrain yourself, restrain yourself, restrain. You're the adult in the relationship. And uh, he looks at me, you're not bossing me. And I went, you're right, I'm not. But I'm the boss of the food on your plate. And if you don't eat it, you don't get dessert. Moses well, shows up and the people, you're not the boss of me. You know, who made you the prince? Who made you the rescuer? Who said you could do this kind of thing? Challenge to the dream. Moses is going like, and, and, and here's what happens with Moses is we get this. He just absolutely panics. And he runs off to another land. For 40 years, he disappears off the face of the planet. You know, we know, you know, it, when I started telling the story, most of you recognized it was Moses, and you could probably tell me the rest of the story because there's a whole lot of the Bible about it. You can tell me the rest of the story, how he went through all of the, uh, you know, took the people of Israel out of Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness and all those kinds of things and the encounters he had with God, all those success stories, all those things that happened in his life. You can probably tell me that, but there's this gap. I love how the Bible's so neat and tidy. 40 years old, he has this problem with the slave driver, kills him, then has a problem with the Egyptians. 40 years, he disappears. Did you ever wonder what happened in those 40 years? I do. You know, we got 10 verses telling us all about what happened in his early childhood. We know what his childhood and his early life. But there's almost nothing. He runs from Pharaoh, and then all of a sudden, a few verses later, we get burning bush. 40 years is a long time to get three verses. 40 years is a long time between knowing what you're called to do and trying to do it and really messing it up. And 40 years later, finally starting to do what God really wants you to do and trying to accomplish some things and get satisfied and get fulfilled and seeing success and seeing all those kinds of things happen. I'll tell you what, I have yet to find a book in the Christian bookstore or anywhere else that says the 40-year guide to success. It doesn't seem to exist. It's like the two-step guide, you know, the four-step guide, you know, the three key verses, the one thing you need. I love that one. The one thing you need to know. Yeah, I tried that. We're always trying to simplify, aren't we? We're always trying to just bring it down to, you know, these four points and these three points. If you just do these three things, 40 years, nothing. Well, there's a couple little hints couple little hints about what happened to Moses. The first one is, you know, I just want to suggest in Exodus chapter 2, it, it says that when Moses went to Midian, he, he got married. 
you know, which every good 40-year-old should do. He got married, and, and then he had his first son, Gershom. Sounds like he should be a composer. Gershom. And, uh, and, he na- and, and then Moses says in Exodus chapter 2, verse um, 22. There we go. I should look behind me once in a while. Verse 22. She gave birth to a son. Moses named him Gershom, for he explained, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Here's the first thing Moses did during those 40 years. He settled in disillusionment. He was not afraid. Paul writes in Acts, he said, or, or uh, Peter says in Acts that he, he wasn't afraid. He went in faith. But the reality is for 40 years, Moses was disillusioned and said, did I hear God wrong? Is there still a place for me? Is there, do I have a future? In fact, after a little while, he didn't even think about that anymore. He was just so disillusioned with stuff, he was out of here. Moses had no intention of going back to Israel. Moses, or sorry, to Egypt. Moses had no intention of going back and delivering the people of Israel. Moses had no intention of doing anything. He was so disillusioned that he had quit. You know, I kind of chuckle, you know, because we read a lot of Bible stories about, uh, you know, kind of that gap period in, you know, Joseph, you heard of Joseph? You know, Joseph, he got sold into slavery, and then we see, you know, he gets raised to be the second in command in Pharaoh's. And in between, you go, what did Joseph do during that time? Well, Joseph stayed faithful, kept his integrity. You know, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, what did Daniel do when he was being, he went and prayed. You know, David, David, you know, when things were going really bad in his life and he messed it up really bad, he was in a gap, what did he do? He repented. Moses? He messed it up. What did he do? He quit. He just quit. He said, I'm done. I'm living out here. I'm done. I tried it. Been to church. Tried Christianity. Tried fulfilling my purpose in God. Tried doing what God wanted me to do. I messed it up. I'm done. Preaching to anybody this morning yet? Or somebody you know? See, he, he didn't, you know, I, I, I love Moses because we, we think about Moses as an incredible guy, which he is, but these 40 years, he's not my model. He just quit. He's done. He settled. I have been so broken. I'm so disillusioned. I'm so frustrated trying to feel, feel, fulfill God's call. He didn't go like, well, you know, maybe I didn't try God's way. I was trying it my way. No, he said, I'm just done. Anybody go through a pandemic the last couple of years? Anybody feel done? Anybody know somebody who's done? I'm tired of online service. I'm tired of not seeing people. I'm tired of obeying the government. I'm tired of doing this stuff. I'm, t- I'm just done. That's where Moses was. I'm done. So he settled in this land called Midian, but really what Moses was settling is was he was settling in disillusionment. You know, another thing that happened with Moses as he's going along is he... He didn't just settle in disillusionment. He, Moses actually stopped looking for God. Well, I'm going through a dry spell in my Christian experience. No, Moses wasn't going through a dry spell. Moses had stopped looking for God. You ever wonder, like, I know the burning bushes is a big deal, right? Like, that'd be a big deal. Like, in BC, it's not a big deal. We have them all the time. But, you know, be, yeah, <laughs> you know, but... You know, we were driving through the park yesterday. We saw a little bit of burn on the side of the road. That's unusual, you know, for here. But, you know, we get fires all the time. And, 
But Moses is up in the, in, you know, wandering around, you know, towing the sheep around behind him, and he sees a burning bush, and he's wondering what's going on. And God had to come to him in a burning bush because Moses wasn't looking for him. It wasn't because Moses needed a sign. Moses needed a distraction. He, he needed something to draw his attention because he wasn't looking for God. Here's the guy who's going to be the future savior of Israel, taking them out of slavery. And we think he's like, ooh, you know, all this per. But he had stopped looking for God. He was so fed up with lackluster experience. He was so fed up with not things going the way he thought God said they would go. He was so tired of feeling disappointed in God that he just stopped looking for God. Just poke the person next to you and say, he's talking about somebody in the room. <laughs> see, see here, here, you know, Moses in Exodus chapter 3 says, you know, this is, Moses sees this burning bush and he, verse 3 says, look at, this is amazing. He wasn't saying that about God. This is amazing. Why isn't that bush burning? I must go see it. He wasn't looking for God. He'd stopped looking for God. I know people in my world. You know people in your world. In fact, it might even be you today. The last few years, maybe more than that, have so disheartened and disillusioned you about people, people's responses, people you thought were, you know what, I, we, we've, we've seen people who I thought were so mature and they were going to fall, and they're just like, nah, we're just done with church. I can't go through a day without thoughts of people in my mind that just, it kills me inside. Full on, no longer looking for God. And this was Moses. Most, you know, let's use a real Christian term. Moses was backslidden. Actually, Moses wasn't backslidden. Moses had just quit. Done. He wasn't even looking for God. Not only that, not only had he stopped looking for God, but he'd completely stopped following God. There's this little passage that once Moses gets called back to God, like the burning bush, and he finally goes, okay, I'll go finally, you know. Although if you read that little dialogue, it's kind of interesting because he finally complains so much that God gets mad at him. But he, after he finally says, I'll go, he starts to go, and then the angel of the Lord, it says in, verse, uh, in chapter 4, verse uh, 22, 26, it says, on the way to Egypt, a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. Okay, that's a weird twist to the story. I mean, have you, never, have you ever read that and went, there's something going on here I don't quite understand? So he's, he's you know, God's kind of, you know, okay, go back and do this thing for me. He's convinced them to do it. He's going back now. And, and then all of a sudden he goes like, mm, I'm going to kill you instead. <laughs> Sign me up. And I don't think so. So, but there's something else in there. Like, it just, you know, it's bothered me for years and I couldn't figure it out. Like, what's going on here? Why would God do that? And then his wife steps in and says, okay, here's the problem. You haven't circumcised your sons. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, but it is, you know, it's the problem. It's because here's, here's what happened is not only had he stopped looking for God, but he'd actually stopped following God. See, for the Jewish people, that was the circumcision. That was actually a sign of a covenant. It was like, I'm in relationship with you. 
The reason this story comes up here is because we're just hearing a little bit about how discouraged Moses was, how disillusioned he was, because not only had he stopped looking for God, he wouldn't have seen him. Not only was he living in a land of disillusionment, but he'd actually just completely stopped following God. I no longer consider myself a Hebrew. I no longer identify as a Christian. Heard that lately? I no longer identify as that. So I'm not doing the stuff anymore. Honestly, when I read this passage, these 40 years bother me a lot because I see too many people there. Now, I, I, can, I, can I be really candid with you? I've never been here with you before, but I just, I just want to be really candid with you. I, I wrestled with this, this passage. It's really bothered me a lot. I like to get up and preach and go, okay, here's the thing, and now there's four things you can do. <laughs> if you just press into God, this will happen. If you just believe this, this will happen. The problem with this story is it doesn't fit. I think one of the things that life has shown us in the last little while is it's a lot more complicated than we want to admit. Our journey of faith is a lot more difficult and a lot more complicated. Revival is tough. Christian living is difficult. In fact, life itself is just complicated. And sometimes there is no fight left in you. Some, Moses, you know, I'd have to say about Moses, Moses didn't have any fight in him anymore. Say, so, you know, if you just turn to God, Moses said, I don't even believe in him anymore. You realize who we're talking about? We're talking about Moses. When did Moses lose his mojo? You know, how did Moses get his mojo back? I mean, that's the big question. What's the force? How, how do I get my passion back? How do I get that back? I'm having a problem with this passage. I'm having a real problem with this story because Moses didn't do anything. I'm not saying, you know, please don't go out of here and say, oh, you know, Pastor Dave said we don't have to do anything. God just does it all. We don't do anything. No, what I'm saying is there are some times in our life when we can't do anything. There's some times when we've gotten to the point in our life when it's not a matter of, you know, if I just read my Bible a little more, if I just press into God a little bit more. No, I, I, I quit. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think you know today, some of you in your heart, there's some times when you've quit. And there's some empty seats beside you because there's some people that quit. There's some Moseses in your life. And that has two great implications because not only... Do we see this side of Moses where Moses quit? Of course, we you know, see the happy ending. You know, every good Bible story with its happy ending. I'm not being cynical. I'm just saying there's a whole lot between the beginning and the end. And, and, and the problem is, is we highlight the beginning and we highlight the end, but most of us are living in the 40 years. And most of our friends are living in the 40 years where we are wrestling with real issues of is God real, where we are wrestling with real issues of is this worth following, where we're wrestling with real issues of I've tried it and it doesn't work. Am I talking to anybody this morning? 
See, that's, that's the thing that we don't talk about. That's the thing that we, we just kind of glaze over it. <laughs> Even the Bible glazes over it. Nobody wants to read that story. We want to read the beginning. Wow, Moses, what a miracle. That princess, she picked you up. Out of, you know, you were just rescued. And boy, Moses, you led those million Israelites out of all those miracles, all that stuff. We want that. But we live in the middle. That's the hard one. You know, that's why I hate Instagram. <laughs> oh, don't get me wrong. I liked having my picture on the feed this morning. You know, that's cool. Even though it doesn't really look like me anymore, but it's approximate, you know, a simile. Instagram is everybody's highlights. Facebook's everybody highlights, except for the few moments you go, you know, I'm going to be real, real, no filter. <laughs> Give me a break. You choose when you don't want to use a filter. Like, you're looking good, so there's no filter today. The day you're not looking good, you're just not posting. Right? And so we, we, we look at these highlights. We even look at the Bible. We go through. We want to see the highlights because we want to know the other. The thing is we're living in that middle, and it's so frustrating because nobody's answering my questions. God's not listening to me. I, 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 I'm not fulfilling my destiny. I'm frustrated with life. I'm not sure God's even around me right now, and that's where we live. And I'm a pastor, and I live there every day. So I should stop now. Like, that's been really helpful, right? Like now you know how to go out and conquer the world. I just want to leave you just a little bit. I think we neglect that part of life. You know, we get this great community, we're going to barbecue, and we have real relationships and small groups, all those kinds of things, but it's hard to be honest about the real serious questions we have. I remember about 25 years ago, it was a friend of mine, we'd gone to Bible college together, he's in our church still, he's a good friend of mine. He we were at a camp, Christian camp, and he says to me, he says, you know, I'm really wrestling with believing in God. You know what I said? Me too. And he said, and you're the pastor, there's no hope. <laughs> if Moses could wrestle through all that and God could find him, I'm pretty sure he can find you. I'm pretty sure it can find me. It's not about whether you get the three steps to God right. It's whether God gets the three steps to you right. You know, there's an interesting thing about this is that time in the middle is realizing that God was more interested in finding Moses than Moses was interested in finding God. You know, I didn't ever see that in Moses before. Let me give you two promises. You might be in the middle. You might know somebody's in the middle. And here's... What I want to tell you, there is a hope in the future, but it's not because you've done something. Today, if I can deposit anything into your life, I want to deposit a little bit of hope and a little bit of faith and a little bit of believing that not just it'll all be okay, but that God's got a burning bush prepared to get your attention in your future. Not because you were walking the right way, but because you were just still being you and being honest and sorting stuff through and figuring it all out. But once you get to that spot, God says, 
come over here. I got, I got, I got you. I've been watching you the whole time. I know you haven't been looking for me, but I've been looking for you. Romans chapter uh, 11, verse 29. This is, this, is, this is something that I just stand on a lot. It says this, it says, for the gifts, and this is a New Living Translation, it says, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. God's gift, God's gifts and his call can never be, not will never be, can never be. How many of you know the difference between can and will? (laughs) I can help you, but I won't. These can never be withdrawn. So, so what's happening here? Moses, right back from the beginning, his call to be a rescuer, God said, I, I can't withdraw that. You might go somewhere else. In fact, I, I think those 40 years are like Jonah. You know that call that God put on your life? Is it Joe? That call God put on your life right from the beginning? You probably ran away from it a little while. You might still be running away from it a little while, actually. But God hasn't changed it. And he's responsible for filling it, not you. His gifts, his call, he's not taking it back. He's not revoking them. It's irrevocable. One other verse should help you out a little bit. Just before I close, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am certain, I am certain, that God, who began the good work in you, will continue the work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You might be in the middle, you might be full of questions. You might not have a clue, but I, I came to Calgary today to tell you one thing. God hasn't given up. And God's not living in the middle with you. God's living in the future with you. God knows where this will end up. God knows where you'll be. God knows the conclusion of this, and he is taking full responsibility for it when you can't. There is a hope for you. There is a future for you. God is in your future. Your gifts and your callings, you may have felt like you messed stuff up along the way. You went, you know what, I tried to do this because I feel like God wanted me to have this ministry and I launched out on it and it just fell flat on its face. I want you to know something, God hasn't retrieved that. He's going to refine that. The day coming, you're going to look back and say, you know what, let's just take that last 30-year journey and we'll sum it up in two things. I was in the middle, and God found me. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are in the middle. Or, you know, as I was preparing, I, I was really thinking that, that today as we came here, there's a, there's a number of us who are sitting here. And you, you know some other people that are in the middle right now because they're not here. I, I really want to deposit some faith in you today. Because this morning, some of you were agonizing over people that weren't here. Agonizing people who weren't where they were with God. I know I do every day. But I give you the promise, the God who began a good work in them will finish it. That he is not 
neglected them. It's just a space in the middle. Let me pray for you. And then we're gonna go back into worship. Father, right now as we just contemplate the fact that for so many of us, there are these, this space in the middle like Moses when we're just stuck in the middle. We don't, we don't feel like going on. We don't wanna go back. We're just stuck. We're questioning everything. And you seem to be okay with that because you know the end. And you've got a plan and you've got a purpose. And God, I, I pray today, Father, for those of us, for, for the people we're believing for, God, I pray that we would receive an impartation right now of faith. God, right now, I just, I impart into this house, into these people right now, faith, belief, hope. The last chapter is not written yet. We're just in the middle. For that person's life, it's not the end yet, it's the middle, the calling will be fulfilled. God, I release faith, I release hope into each person here right now. You know what, I just ask you, you know, if you're specifically, you know, you're just saying, hey, you know, I, I need that faith, and I just want you to lift your hand up, you? saying, hey, I just, there's somebody in my life, or me, or something, I just want you to lift your hand up, I just, so I can just specifically. God, I just specifically, for every person who's acknowledged and they're saying, God, I need that hope. I need that faith. I need to believe that. God, I declare over them. I prophesy over them that faith would enter that scenario, that hope would enter that scenario, that they would, that the spirit of God within them would rise up and they would know that you, they have a future. That you're about to do something at the end of the middle, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.